Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this day after Christmas, Rhino. I think the Brits call it Boxing Day. Why is that? I have no idea. <laughs> B-O-X-I-N-G? Yes. It's a big deal for soccer. Like, every team <laughs> plays on Boxing Day, and... I remember growing up as a kid, some of the the only access to the outside world before the internet was looking at calendars, and it's like, wait, this holiday is observed here, and this holiday, and Boxing Day was always the day after Christmas, and it's observed in Canada and England. Well, your assignment, should you accept it, is to figure out what the heck that means. Boxing Day. Jeez. A little chilly weather rolled through the Magnolia State, as expected. I got to tell you, Friday, I was out at Carter Jewelers, of course. It was blustery cold. Blustery. Uh, Just that short walk to my vehicle in the parking lot, that was brutal. Brutal. But I tell you what, the folks poured in there and were making purchases. They were suiting up for Christmas. My, uh, got to tell you, my little daughter ended up having a bit of outpatient surgery on Friday. Everything's mm. great. We learned about this uh, need late Friday, uh, late Thursday. Pardon me. Honestly, fortunate to uh, get that scheduled and taken care of. All is good. Outpatient. And so I left Carter Jewelers and headed down to uh, Merritt Woman's Hospital, where the surgery was performed. And she was out of there about 4.30 or so, got in, got in while we were doing the program at 11.30. All is well. She's good. And uh, appreciate the really great medical care. Just want to shout out to all the folks, the nurses, the physician, uh, the administration folks that she dealt with, all really, really good. But walking in and out of that hospital about 1.30 in the afternoon and then 4.30 as the sun was retreating behind the tree line. It was cold. Dang. Really cold. A little better today. Not as bad. Yeah, we're back up above freezing here in central Mississippi. It might be a little longer for parts up in north Mississippi to get above freezing, but uh, managed to sneak above freezing yesterday afternoon for the majority of the state, and now Central Mississippi will be into the 40s, so yeah, hopefully the uh, 
water situation can be overcome in the capital city now that it's not freezing all day long. Uh, we are a victim of that water situation here in the building. Woke up this morning, was going to get a shower, turned on the faucet to a trickle. And just for fun, I was going to say something that involves giggles. <laughs> the little button I depressed for the shower to come on, I was like, let's just see if this will even engage. Yeah. Nope, not even enough pressure to get the shower to engage. Oh, gosh. So we're here in the building uh, virtually alone. Pretty are much. We? The good news is we got upfront <laughs> storefront parking, as they call it, right? <laughs> Nobody here but usins. I think JT's here, right? JT yeah. Mitchell here, our news director. He's working on some news, and I believe the security guard is also here. He's here. So there's there's almost a handful of people in the building. Mm-hmm. It's uh reminds a bit, harkens back to the ice storm of was that twenty one. Was it that long ago? I don't. I, I think, think it was though. Yeah, I think it was twenty-one. Yeah, I don't, it wasn't twenty-two. It wasn't this past Mm-mm. year. It was what, like February twenty-one. It's kind of what it reminds me of, where we're sort of hunkered down in this place, and Perez and I handled <laughs> the duties. You couldn't get here, remember? You oh yeah, I had. I had no way for my rear-wheel drive charger to uh, overcome. The physics of going up the hill next to my house. <laughs> Perez and I were surviving on Twix bars and honey buns. We were raiding the vending machines. That's all there was. I do remember that that was a very interesting community moment for me as I'm making a trek from my apartment to the gas station about a half a mile away with a big pry bar as a walking stick and people walking out on their front porch waving me down so I could pick them up a Coca-Cola and a bag of peanuts or something at the gas station, too. Walking back with, like, four bags. <laughs> well, did you go to Tupelo for Christmas? I did. I yeah. got to go up uh, I got up Saturday and headed that way and got to go over and spend some time with some friends uh, after the candlelight service Saturday night and then got up and went to church uh, yesterday and then went over to my little brother's place and spent some time with the the ninja nephew and the littlest wonder niece. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. Did you uh, you get some loot for Christmas? As I did. Well? <laughs> I got my little brother got me a pretty cool statue from One Piece, the the Good. comic that I read, and then my older brother, with an assist from my oldest wonder niece, got me a mug that uh, has the definition of a bearded funkle. <laughs> which is a bearded fun uncle. I love it. And then uh, my dad came in big. He got me an air fryer. Oh. It, it was something that came up over conversation last weekend while I was also up in town in Tupelo to, to DJ a wedding and spend some time for my dad's birthday last weekend. And I just happened to mention this, one of the few things I don't have in my kitchen is an air fryer. Okay. And lo and behold, there's a big box with my name under there you go. with my name on it under the Christmas tree, yeah. and I got an air fryer, so I'll be playing with that this week. Well, that'll be fun. You you got any uh, delicacies in mind? Uh, I do have some frozen takoyaki, which is a a breaded fried octopus ball. Okay. from Japan. That when I bought it, I thought you'd be able to cook it in the oven, but then it recommends frying. So. I'm going to give that a shot in the air fryer instead of deep frying that, because I figure once I deep fry those, I can't use that grease for anything else, okay. so I'd rather try it with the air fryer. Don't think I've heard of that before. Where did you come up with that? What did you call it? Takoyaki. Okay. 
It was in the frozen section at the local Asian wow. grocery store right next okay. to something else I usually get called an Odin kit, okay. which is uh, kind of a hot soup. Really good on a cold day. Really good for a day like today. Gotcha. On the C Spire text line, which of course is 601-879-4395, thank you all for working today. No reruns. <laughs> we call it the best of uh, the, the Gallo Show, best of today, live on Friday. We will be the best of on Friday, just letting everybody know. But we are live Monday through Thursday of this week. And then next week, Katie, bar the door. We got the... Hang on to your wallets. Yeah, man. Those zany legislators, they're back in town. The boys and girls are back in town. Can you say that these days? I don't know. I'm... I, I'm still in the camp of that there are only two genders. And well, I'm, you can say it. It's just some people's heads might explode. <laughs> I got you. Fight. We've got some sound we'll play later on for you folks from Rachel Levine. <laughs> you got to hear it. You just, you know, I, I know I'm going to go back here, and I, I don't want you to think I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm just calling attention to the fact that early on in this program, when I started hosting it, I said, how in the world are we ever going to get things done and work together in any unified fashion if we can't agree on how many dead gum genders there are? And here we are. We definitely cannot agree. We are all over the map. We've got, uh, by the way, Captain Chris Turnipseed, the director of the Mississippi Highway Patrol Public Affairs, coming on the program in the next segment. I wanted to share with you, we probably won't get to all of it in the remaining moments of this first segment, but some of our most time-honored Christmas traditions the origination of them. So one of them is Merry Christmas. It turns out that that evolved from a 16th century letter from a bishop to England's chief minister in which the religious leader hoped God would bless the politician with a quote, Merry Christmas. The carol, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, also dates back to that period and is proof that the phrase was gaining popularity. But they say it was Charles Dickens' famous A Christmas Carol, which I don't know how many versions and iterations of that there are, but I, I watch what I believe may be the original that was produced in 1938. I didn't recognize any of the any of the actors. I think my favorite is uh, where George C. Scott plays Scrooge. I don't know why. When I was growing up, that was popular and it would air annually. But apparently, that uh, A Christmas Carol, Dickens' A Christmas Carol, popularized the phrase the most because it was a bestseller when it was published in 1843. At one point, you recall, Scrooge's nephew exclaims, A Merry Christmas, Uncle. I do remember that. God save you. That's when he had seen the error of his past ways and he busted up on his nephew's Christmas party to their surprise. A Merry Christmas. Coming right back with Captain Chris Turnipseed. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Well, the good news is, Rhino, you don't have to drive 55 anymore. That's <laughs> the song. <laughs> Joining us now, Captain Chris Turnipseed with the Mississippi Highway Patrol. He's the director of the Public Affairs Division. Captain, good to see you this morning, sir. Hope you had a great Christmas. Yes, sir, Gerard. Good to see y'all, too. I hope y'all had a good uh, Christmas as well. Everything going well for y'all this weekend? We are. We, everything's going great. Uh, the weekend was fabulous. We came in the building today, uh, which is without water, unfortunately, experiencing some uh, water difficulties in the city of Jackson. But we'll be fine. We'll get through it. Uh, most of the folks that work in here today, of course, are off. They are observing their holiday on this day after Christmas, it having uh, fall, uh, fallen on a Sunday. The question for you, sir, is how do we did on the roads uh, this weekend? Well, this cold weather uh, came through, kind of, I think, slowed things down a little bit. I was just looking over some of the numbers just a few minutes ago, and we've had about half the number of accidents this year uh, opposed to what we had uh, last year, but the bad thing about it, we we did have five fatalities so far over this holiday period, and uh, today's the last day. Actually, we go through midnight tonight, and uh, we don't want any more of those. Five five is hmm. a lot to me, in my opinion, to have over, especially with the amount of accidents that we've had. Like I said, half the amount of accidents, but but five uh, fatal crashes. So that's hmm. that's never a good thing to hear. Uh, so. Th- Traffic is really starting to pick up now. I, I, I go back to what you were saying. Everything was closed today. I've, I've been trying around look, looking at some things, and, and businesses were closed. But I think today will be a big day for travel. You know, people are going back home because they had this extra day over the weekend. So I'm looking uh, forward to seeing what kind of numbers we end up with tonight at midnight. When did the period start, Captain? You said it ends at midnight tonight, right? When did it start officially? Start. Started at six o'clock on uh, Friday morning. Okay. Six o'clock on Friday morning, and so you had that day, kind of the pre-Christmas Eve travel day, and then Christmas Eve, Christmas, and then today is the day after Christmas, which a lot of people are traveling home. A lot of people out here returning gifts. Yeah, <laughs> I guess yeah. today, uh, <laughs> maybe going and spending some of those gift cards or what have you. So uh, today, today will be a, a, a pretty busy day for traffic. Uh, I'm sure. I'm just I'm I'm overlooking a highway right now and. It's, it's pretty pretty good bit of traffic flow out here today. I got you. Well, of course, air travel was chaotic uh, over the last few days. I just wonder how that may have impacted uh, the motoring public. Did folks have to say, well, the heck with this. I can't get on an airplane. I'm going to have to drive. I just wonder, and, and maybe we weren't as affected in this part of the country, but even here, uh, because of connecting flights and so forth, I've heard reports of... Uh, lots of issues uh, with our our commercial flights in and out of the state of Mississippi. I just wonder how that affected traffic. That's a good point, Gerard. Uh, I, I don't know that. Depending on where you're traveling to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know your pl- your flight gets canceled, and you know you're flying cross country. I don't know how many people are going to yeah. say, "Well, just forget about it this year." And then how many of them try to rent a car and, and drive across country? That's a good question. I have no idea, but. I can look at our numbers and say, you know, can kind of tell you by the number of accidents we've had that the traffic was probably looked a little bit lighter this year than, okay. it, than it did last year to, at this time. And I just wonder, perhaps, if that's because of the brutally, bitterly cold temperatures and weather, maybe folks were a little hesitant to get out and travel. 
Yeah, people probably not want to get too way too far away from those gas logs or that or that <laughs> central heating this year. It has been a cold one, but in typical Mississippi fashion, uh, we had a cold, really cold weekend this weekend, and next weekend for New Year's, it's we can go out and lay by the swimming pool. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm seeing 70, 70 degrees for uh, New Year's, so that's probably going to be a pretty uh, a busy uh, weekend uh, next weekend. All right, so you said five fatalities. How does that compare to last year or prior years, Captain? Uh, well, we I, I, I pulled the number. We had one fatal crash uh, last year over, over the over the Christmas uh, holiday period. A lot more traffic, uh, a lot more crashes. Like I said, twice the number of crashes, uh, but only one 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 fatal. Uh, I did look. You know, me and you are always talking about these kind of things. Uh, and you know, our seat belts and. Restraint laws, and that's one of our topics we always talk about. I did, I did look at these these crashes, and it, it would appear that that none of our, our our fatalities over the weekend are were restrained in their vehicles. So that's that continues to be a common uh, denominator in, in fatal crashes is non-restrained uh, drivers and occupants, which is, is like I always say, is something we could we could uh, change, something we could you know do something about. But uh, it's just sad either way. We we hate you know right here at the holidays. There's never a good time to lose someone, but over the holidays, it got to be the worst, the worst time for sure. So, did I hear you right, Captain? That of the five fatalities which occurred in the state during this this uh, holiday travel period, none had their seat belts on. Is that what you said, sir? Well, none, none restrained. Yes, George. What's it? Actually, one of those crashes. Uh, it looks to be a, a pedestrian involved crash. Okay. Uh, so that there, there's going to be no seatbelt involved yeah. in that. Yeah. And that was another another thing I talked to you about last time. You sure it's, did. Has been the has been the uh, influx of those uh, crashes across the state since I started really uh, keeping up with it all and being able to see it on a regular basis. Uh, pedestrian involved. So uh, yeah, that, that 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 number was counted in with our with our five fatal okay. crashes there. Is there is there any pattern that uh, can be detected at this point? Determined at this point as to what caused these crashes? Were they were they speeding, not paying attention, anything like that? Running red lights and so uh, forth. Uh, I'd have to look on that. I might be able to talk to you more about that the next time because okay, I have no to problem. look at some of the sure. accident reports. I haven't seen those yet, so I don't really know what the contributing yeah. uh, circumstances are. But uh, I did notice on the reports, you know. They're they're not showing that any, anyone there was any restraints used in any of those in those uh, fatalities. So I do know that, but as far as contributing, I'm not sure. Golly, you know, you and I uh, started talking about the pedestrian situation when I shared with you my personal experience, where I had to avoid a pedestrian crossing I-55 not far from this building where we're sitting here at the uh, county line exit. Uh, with uh, all sorts of traffic at, at a prime travel period, 7 o'clock or so at night, and you can't see a person who's trying to, to hop between the lanes, literally crossing the interstate there. And I noticed the cars that were swerving to avoid, and, and I followed suit as well. I, I took my breath away after I passed a person, uh, you know, going at interstate speeds. That's just not something normal you're accustomed to seeing on a highway, or, or especially not on the interstate. So a lot of times people are not expecting that. I've had a few catch me by surprise uh, driving, and I'll look up, and maybe in dark clothing or what have you, and I'll be like, hey, that was a person oh, there, you know, standing on the side of the road and kind of, you know, don't know what they're doing out there. Uh, you know, a lot of times 
pedestrian involved crashes are a lot of times related to you know someone maybe with car trouble you know doing changing a, t- a flat or something or maybe out of gas or something other Th- those do happen from time to time but it seems like a lot of these we're seeing are just uh people out traveling walking from one place to another and and, and uh involved in collision with a car so we have another enforcement period coming up this weekend with new year's is it the same schedule 6 a.m on friday in this case through 12 uh p.m uh, would be that's right, Gerard. Yeah, yeah, twelve a.m. Actually, right. Yeah, it, twelve p.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, midnight on, on Monday. Yeah, midnight. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is our home for the our home for the holidays campaign is what we call this uh, enforcement campaign. You know, you have Christmas in a little period there, and then we take uh, you have you go back to normal work and everything, and then you're off again for the second half of the campaign over the New Year's holidays. So yeah, that will start. Uh, Friday morning at six, and it will go through the weekend and conclude on uh, Monday on midnight. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping wow. to that we do we do better on the on the at least on the fatal crash part of it this year. Yeah. All right. So, it, do we have typically heavier traffic on uh, around the Christmas holiday or New Year's? Or do you have that data? Oh, uh, that's just, that varies back and forth. Uh, I would I would think Christmas would be a little bit a little bit more traveler because it's more of a family oriented holiday. Uh, a lot of people out traveling. You know, it's kind of similar to what, what yeah. Thanksgiving, I guess you would say. Uh, New Year's is you know is a usually a locally celebrated event. You might go out to some friends or you know up the road uh, somewhere to a, to a gathering or something. Uh, those are a lot more, I would say, locally. But there, there will be a lot of traffic out. A lot of people, maybe not as many cross country or interstate travelers, but there will be a lot of traffic on the road uh, for that too. So uh, we'll just have to see. The numbers are different. Weather patterns have a lot to do with it as well. I think it being a warmer holiday, I think we'll probably traffic will be on the uptick. It'll be a lot more uh, conditions will be a lot more favorable favorable for travel over New Year's. Yeah, I'd, all, I'd also have to think that New Year's typically you got more parties, more alcohol consumption. That increases the risk of that. Probably less of that around Christmas. But, Captain, we, as always, appreciate you and all our state troopers for uh, working throughout these holidays to keep uh, our roadways here in Mississippi State. Appreciate it, sir. I hope uh, you and yours continue to have a great holiday. Thank you. Yes, sir, Joe, I appreciate the opportunity to get on and share. Y'all have a great week, and we'll talk to you uh, at the end of New Year's, man. Have a happy New Year, and we'll talk to you then. You got it. Coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. coincidence you would play that song because last night flipping through the channels I stopped and watched 
Forrest Gump for a while. There you go. Of course, that's in there. Oh, yeah. A uh, classic anthem from the 60s. Being uh, a man born in 1985, Forrest <laughs> Gump was one of my earliest introductions to that era of music. Okay. What a great soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many good songs. Was that like 88 or so when the movie was produced? Seems like it. I want to say it was the mid to early nine. Actually, I want to say it was 1994. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 1994. Because it was that time period where Tom Hanks won back to back Oscars. Right. For Philadelphia in 93 and Forrest Gump in 94. Yeah. Still an unbelievable production. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a masterpiece. And, and watching it last night, you know. I always think about how do they make this? Like, there's a scene in there you may remember where Lieutenant Dan is in a wheelchair passing, crossing a crowded street in New York. And in typical New York fashion, most of the vehicles are yellow cabs. Well, if you've been to New York, that's almost still the case. More Ubers now. You can, you know, you dial up your Uber app, and there's like every other car in front of you is an Uber. Uh, congesting the streets. But back in those days, no Uber, yellow cabs. And and you look at a, a scene that kind of pans back, looking down on the street and, and um, away, horizontally, like, where do they get all those pristine yellow cabs from the era? There's like 40 of them in the frame. Like, where do they get all those? It's awesome. And then the scene at the uh, the Washington Monument and the reflecting pond. They got all those people together for that, I guess. I mean, or is, they, they, is that some sort of trickery? If I'm not mistaken, Forrest Gump was one of the first blockbusters to, to utilize a lot of CGI. Like, I want to say they did have a, a big crowd of extras okay. that were closer to the camera. Yeah. And then they filled in with CGI as they went back. Okay. And I think with... Lieutenant Dan's amputations, they they used, I want to say it was still blue screen at the time. That's right. Before green screen had taken over, before they figured out that that awkward color green is much rarer in nature than the blue they were using, because blue screens had been in use since Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and and this, there's been lots of reports papers, as I recall, written about how they achieved that uh, in the film with Lieutenant Dan, all the various scenes, like one of them when he falls out of the his wheelchair in his apartment. Remember, he's rolling around, and Gump tries to help him, and he says, no, leave me alone. He pulls the chair and hops back in it, and then, of course, on the boat, on the shrimp boat, those scenes as well. I mean, Do you call this a storm? <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh. That's just so well done. You know, no matter what you think about the subject matter, uh, you, you can't deny that it was incredible art all the way around, every aspect of the production. But the scene at the Washington Monument, and you're, you're probably right, so the scenes looking uh, uh, towards the stage where Gump was at the podium, 
and all the all the people, which were vets, right behind him, mostly with their fatigues on. And the man with the American flag shirt. <laughs> yeah, and Gump's even behind the stage says, "This man had an American flag shirt on." <laughs> and then the uh, the member of the military goes and pulls all the, all the wires out of the amps, and they lose the sound. Who thought of that? That was great. <laughs> And that's oh. all I've got to say about the war in Vietnam. <laughs> and the guy comes over, the the guy that's draping the flag shirt. That was right on, man. <laughs> you said it all, man. You said it all. That's right. Oh, gosh. That was great. Really awesome. Uh, let's see. On the ceasefire text line, wonder if Rhino watched the Elvis movie, says Georgia in Oxford. Not yet, but I have seen... A couple interviews with the guy who played Elvis in the movie. I think his name's Austin something. And he was joking about how he spent so much time in that character and trying to perfect that voice that he had a hard time losing that voice and getting back to the way he normally talks. Yeah. To the point where he was slipping in and out of it during the interview, and it was a, a bit odd, but... If somebody's willing to put several years of their life into recreating a character, I'm definitely going to have to put that on my list and check it out. (laughs) Well, there you go. Crosby Simmons says, Hey guys, speaking of water, is it true that Jackson will receive $600 It's a little uh, jumbled here, the message. It's nuts. $600 600 million. Okay, I got you. The text came in in reverse order. If so, that is rewarding incompetence. Yeah, we, we actually agree, Crosby, and discussed that on the program last week when we learned that the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill included this huge amount of money for the city of Jackson to address its water situation. But we agree. We, I, I think it's a total boondoggle. I, I cannot imagine how someone with a clear conscience can vote on something that they know requires going into more debt uh, to fund. We're on track to produce a $1.2 trillion deficit in this fiscal year, which ends September 30th, 2023. We shared last week that, according to the latest statements from the U.S. Treasury, we're averaging $50 billion, 50, 50 per month in interest costs. And while I know a lot of folks get rightfully upset about the amount of money we are sending to Ukraine, some $50 billion to date. Now this bill adds another $45 billion, puts us close to $100 billion of in-kind and cash to Ukraine. Fact is, we're spending more on interest per month, per month, than we've sent to Ukraine in a year. Now, that's not excusing it, not justifying it, justifying it whatsoever. I'm just pointing out that we are on a run rate to spend $600 billion on interest. That, of course, the result of the increase of interest rates and 
increase in our debt principle, which is now north of $30 trillion, approaching $31 trillion. But yeah, we're that's the word, we're sending $600 million. The, uh, the uh, bill does provide that the money will be administered by someone the EPA will appoint, yet to be appointed. We, you're aware that already there's someone on the ground from the EPA that's involved with the city in managing its water situation, but this is a whole new deal. $600 million. What's a little interesting about that? As I recall, the estimates were always we need $250 billion. Uh, million, pardon me, $250 million. So used to talking about the billions with the omnibus bill. But $600 million? I'm not sure the city of Jackson's physical assets are worth $600 million. Seriously. When you consider the liabilities and the ongoing maintenance of those assets, I, just amazing to me. $600 million going to the city. And, of course, that's just one of many pet projects that are uh, lumped in this bill. And the list is quite long, and it seems like every day. I did a little reading over the weekend on this. Look, looked at the 53-page summary. <laughs> They're serious. There's a 53-page summary that was produced by the House Appropriations Committee. 53-page summary. That's like a lawyer showing up, no disrespect to lawyers, and handing you a two-inch document and calling it a brief. This is a 53-page summary. I did dig into that a little bit. Half the stuff that's funded in there I'm not even sure I know what it is. I, I tried to look up some of it, couldn't figure it out. You know the folks that are voting for this thing don't have a clue. We're coming right back. We're in the Element Well Studios on this Monday after Christmas. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. I got rice cooking in the microwave Got a three-day beard I don't plan to shave And it's a goofy thing But I just gotta say Hey, I'm a-doing all right Yeah, I think I'll make me some homemade soup I'm feeling pretty good And that's the truth It's neither drink nor drug-induced No, I'm just doing all right and it's a great day to be alive. I know the sun's still shining when I close my eyes. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. But why can't every day be just this? So, yeah, there's, uh, there's a 53-page summary produced by the House Appropriations, Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023, Summary of Appropriations Provisions by Subcommittee. And that's because this omnibus bill combines what should be 12 separate funding bills that, that cover the spectrum 
of government, domestic spending, and, of course, defense, which are discretionary and must be appropriated annually. But just looking here at the Agricultural Rural Development, FDA, that would be one area. So typically you would fund that in a separate bill, deliberate it, debate it. But this money goes to the Food and Drug Administration and related agencies, $25 billion, that's an increase of $737 million, 3% above fiscal year 2022. I, some of this stuff I'm not sure I totally understand, and it just sounds like it's so abstract. I just wonder when this money is allocated when these programs are funded, what really happens? Because here's an example. Tackles hunger and nutrition insecurity by expanding access to fruits and vegetables to 6.2 million women, infants, and children through the WIC program and ensuring that 43.5 million people in SNAP-eligible families get the necessary benefits. The bill also invests in the health of America's kids through child nutrition programs like school meals, which are now the healthiest source of food consumed in the United States. So, unless you go to wait, school, wait, 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 it's what wait, wait. it says. According to the federal government, school meals are the most nutritious food eaten in the United States. Correct. Well, that tells you how bass-ackwards they are. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure the square slice of pizza and this... Tiny little dollop of corn is not the healthiest meal available in the United States. <laughs> you got to love this one, though. Equity. It's all about equity. Here you go. Provides essential investments to ensure equitable participation in USDA programs. You see, folks, <laughs> Democrats, and unfortunately to some Republicans, everything can be solved with a program. A government program. The bill provides increases for extension, research, and capacity grants at eighteen hundred and ninety eighteen ninety. Pardon me, land grants, nineteen ninety four land grants, and Hispanic serving institutions to help strengthen the pipeline for the future of agriculture. It also provides funding to improve outreach and program access to historically underserved communities. In other words, it's reparations. That's what it is. In the name of equity. Just uh, And I'll get to some of this a little bit later, but I did want to respond to some text. Tim and McGee, was it Senator Wicker, one of the Republicans that voted for this bill? Gary from Nettleton, did any senators or representatives in Mississippi vote for the omnibus bill? Did Senators Wicker and Hyde-Smith vote for the omnibus bill? That too on the ceasefire text line. So three folks want to know. Yeah, so here's the deal. The procedural vote in the Senate, which is just the vote to proceed with the bill. That's the way this stuff works out. That bill was supported by both Senators Hyde-Smith and Wicker. The final vote on the actual legislation, the omnibus bill, the act itself, it was a nay not supported by Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith 
Senator Wicker, on the other hand, was a yay. So both supported the procedure to, pro to continue with deliberation. And that is absolutely necessary to get past the hurdle of the, the filibuster, et cetera. Okay. That was necessary to include the Title 42 amendment that was proposed. That's exactly right, which is about to cause chaos, because we're running out of time on that. But Senator Wicker, in the final vote to support the bill or, or not support the bill or oppose it, Senator Wicker voted for it. Senator Hyde-Smith voted against it. On the House side, uh, of course, we have four reps in the House of, of uh, Representatives. As you can imagine, Representative Benny Thompson voted in favor of the legislation. Our three Republican members of the House of Representatives voted against. Representatives Palazzo, Kelly, and Guest were nays on the bill. Representative Benny Thompson taking victory laps on securing $600 million for the city was a yay. We're coming right back, hour two of middays after the news break. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We are live today in the Element Wealth Studio, Super Talk Mississippi, as we will be on Middays. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, we'll do a little best of on Friday, but we are back in the studios next Monday. That would be a January the 2nd. I guess we'll have to uh, throw the TVs on in here so we can watch the bowl games, right? Because they'll be going Maybe. on. Yeah, at that time. And then, once again, those zany legislators are back in action at the state capitol next, next Tuesday, the 3rd. I think we've got uh, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn going to kick things off on the program, tell us about the legislative session. What fun that'll be, huh? We'll be all over that. So, on the ceasefire text line... John in Hardeman, Tennessee, says, We have snow here at the state line just north of Walnut. Wow. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, let's see. Uh, I think I got all that. Yeah, dog was asking a question. And no, yeah, no dog, you're now. not crazy. There really was a magnitude 2.5 earthquake. I believe it was... Three or thirteen? I know there was a three somewhere in the number miles north of Boonville in North Mississippi on wow. Saturday. Uh, apparently, it was the strongest quake we felt all year in the Magnolia State, but only eighteen people reported feeling it to the USGS. Hmm. Eighteen. Eighteen people. Okay, those are the people that at least reported. Correct. And they didn't go door to door and poll them or do no, robocalls or anything. They didn't whip out the <laughs> census taker. Hey, go check on this. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, it, 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 there's I mean, a fault, right? It, on Saturday, you would imagine a lot of people would have been at home. Yeah. But also a lot of people were probably pretty busy and didn't want to bother finding the number of the USGS and go, hey, was that an earthquake? 
Yeah, very true. On the ceasefire text line, are all areas in Jackson affected by the boil water notice? I believe so. I believe it's a citywide notice that from Jason in the Bellhaven area. I just checked the restrooms here outside the studio doors. There's a little pressure moving through the faucets. Uh, so it's we have a little bit of something, but who knows on that. Tate's Turf, LLC. How can Senator Wicker say with a straight face he is representing the people of Mississippi? Will there be a good candidate to run against him? Either way, he will never get my vote. I think Gerard should run. Hmm. Over a trillion dollars in deficit this fiscal year. The founding fathers are rolling over in their graves. That from Ben from Madison. You know, Ben, I think what bothers me more than the actual deficit is that they just seem to not even bring it into the conversation. It's I just still, again, we played the clip last week of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. We got we achieved our objectives. I'm paraphrasing a bit. We got what we wanted in this bill. But you're producing a trillion two hundred billion dollar deficit. How can you be happy about that? There's no virtue. There's no accomplishment. And just writing checks you can't cash. How can you be so celebratory, so euphoric? Look, I got you $600 million, City of Jackson, but yeah, we don't have any money to pay for it. And if you look further at some of the other nonsense in this bill, there is a funding $2 million for a pandemic czar. I'm telling you, I said it last week, all this COVID money, it is absolutely ensconced in our discretionary budget. It's now in the baseline. We're never going to get rid of it. Book it. Pandemic czar. The director of the new office will be tasked with advising the president on pandemic preparedness and management of biological national security threats. You mean the ones that, I think it could be argued, were created by another agency in government? Certainly funded. The director of the office will also oversee and coordinate federal pandemic responses in conjunction with the president and Department of Health and Human Services. And then, of course, uh, uh, what is it with all these folks once they get there? I shouldn't say all. That's unfair. I'm generalizing. How about numerous? They want something named after them. Well, Nancy Pelosi's not only getting a federal building named after her, she's now getting a fellowship program of the funds. I'm reading directly from the bill, folks. Of the funds appropriated under this heading, not less than $2 million shall be made available for a grant to a post-secondary educational institution for the purpose of establishing a program to increase the participation of undergraduate students in the foreign services authorized by Section 150 of the Foreign Relations Authorization Act, fiscal years 1990 and 1991, provided 
there is a requirement, and here's the requirement, provided, by the way, in italics, that such grant program shall hereafter be named the Nancy Pelosi Fellowship Program. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that all this stuff just ends up in this bill. Oh, gosh. $900 million for land acquisition. Doesn't the federal government have enough land already? $166 million for neighborhood reinvestment activities, including $4 million for shared equity housing models. What the heck is that? I'm telling you, nobody knows. But this is one that really caught my attention, because I know we've been talking about this sort of rise of gender ideology, radical gender ideology, and how that's just proliferated what seems like every corner of society. The Pentagon. Because don't you know, nothing is more important to the folks who are charged with keeping the nation from getting bombed and destroyed by foes and detractors, the Pentagon will get $8.6 million for gender advisor programs. Now, I got curious to, to try to figure out what the heck is a gender advisory advisor? Someone who works in the gender advisory program, right? Well, it turns out the United Nations Institute for Training and Research, acronym UNITAR, they have training programs for military gender advisors, MGA, the acronym for that. They even have a really cute little video, animated video, where they discuss military gender training advisors. What is a military gender advisor on the website? The role of the military gender advisor refers to those responsible for gender mainstreaming in the military component of UN peace operations. Man, we are so tied up with this gender garbage. It As is if the incredible. UN wasn't a big enough waste of time to go and add more waste. Unbelievable. And I'm looking at, on the site, a photo of all the advisors assembled in like this real formal semicircle with all the flags behind them. And they're, you can just tell they're just pleased as punch to be a military gender advisor. The course what kills is, me is that they state that this is the first edition of the face-to-face -face training for military gender advisors, and then that it took place in June of 2022 in the form of a validation workshop. <laughs> validation. We're here to validate you at the UN. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just incredible when you go through here and you start looking at some of this nonsense. But, yeah, that's... That's how we run the government these days. Uh, we're spending now, this omnibus spending bill, $6 billion per day, $250 million per hour, $4 million per minute, until September 30th, 
of next year when we start it all over again. And by the way, because this thing right now is 4,155 pages, they had to pass another continuing resolution to keep the government open for a week so that all the staffers could enroll this 4,155 pages. It'll take an army of them an entire week to get this thing enrolled in the register, because Zala has to be on parchment and so forth. 4,155 pages! This is insanity! How can anyone support this thing? I just don't get it. And they'll tell you, we'll talk about it when we come back. It's for the military, but we just ceded any leverage we have. I think the Democrats absolutely rolled us again. Coming right back on Midday, stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us today, middays, in the Element Well Studios on this Monday after Christmas. I, I trust and pray and hope that you all had a wonderful holiday, a wonderful Christmas, surrounded by family, friends, good tidings, hope, peace. You know, I, we share a lot of stuff that is certainly disturbing. It disturbs me. Uh, moral decay, societal chaos and bad economic legislation and policy, no doubt. But I still remain optimistic, hopeful. I really do. I I just think that we are uh, perhaps at an inflection point, and and things are starting to turn around, uh, notwithstanding this recent omnibus bill, which... It aggravates me. There's no doubt about it. It aggravates me because I just can't see how, with a straight face, you can be so excited, so gleeful about something that, at the end of the day, is so bad. It's not good for America. It's not good for the world. There's nothing. Think about this. Poll after poll shows, for the last several months, Inflation, rising costs of living, cost of gas, food, etc., the staples of life, top the list for Americans as their number one concern. Going into the new year, 70% of economists polled, they fully expect a recession, right? So there's, there's all kinds of economic tumult possibly on the horizon, and where I'm going with this is, what in this bill addresses that? What? If Americans are saying, by the way, guys, our top priority is what it's costing, and every time we go to the grocery store, restaurant, put gas in our tank, though it's down from the high in June, and of course, the president wasn't responsible when it was rising, it was Putin. But now that it's coming down, it's because of him. 
It's just, it's insane. It's so disingenuous. I don't see how you can do that with a straight face. But how else are the researchers at Georgia Tech going to be able to research whether or not a comic book character could make a snapping noise with a metal glove? That's just one of the things being funded in there, right? Steroid, hamsters on steroids. Oh, yeah, or Hamster Fight like Club at Northeastern University. $3 million over the course of a couple decades to inject hamsters with steroids so they can test whether or not the drugs they give to aggressive kids could be used on people that get aggressive from taking steroids. Mm hmm. What did you tell me, whether or not there's a study on whether or not kids love their pets? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Determining I, the well-being of children and their love for pets. I could actually do that gender job, says Tim and McGee. I did it on baby calves for over 40 years. <laughs> it's real simple. I, I, just once again, i, I got to bring it up. We need to have a serious conversation about the role of government. Is this gender advisory stuff the role of government? Wait, you're saying it's not the role of government to spend over $2 million begging rural Ethiopians to wear shoes? Oh my gosh, you're killing me. And I've seen it too. I, when I, again, listen to this. What does this mean? Marketing programs, by the way, this is for the uh, the Agricultural Rural Development FDA. That's the category of funding. Marketing programs. The bill provides $237 million, $11 million above the fiscal year 2022. And so they're bragging at this. Remember, it's a Democrat-controlled House. This is the memo, the 53-page summary from the House Appropriations Committee, responsible, of course, for spending legislation. And they're bragging, hey, we got you 11 million more than 2022 and 4.7 million more than what Biden asked for. What does this mean, Rhino? To facilitate the movement of agriculture products and open market opportunities. This includes $22.8 million for the National Organic Program to protect the integrity of the USDA organic label and $30.2 million for the oversight and enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. What is that? It's throwing money at an already overinflated federal government. <sighs> Gosh, I, I keep reading through here and I just get matter and matter. I, I really do. The bill provides $1.92 billion for farm programs, which is $55 million above the fiscal year 2022 enacted level. This includes $61 million to resolve ownership and succession of farmland issues, also known as heirs' property issues. This funding will continue support for various farm conservation and emergency loan programs and help American farmers and ranchers. So my guess is stuff like that, honestly, gets met with applause from um, uh, Mississippi's farmers. I'm just speculating. I don't know that. But I've been to events where the question has been asked of our elected leaders. You going to make sure that we got everything we want in that farm bill? Okay, well, when do we ever say no? And, and I'm not saying that all that or some of that isn't necessary, but I'm going to go out on, on a limb here and say I bet if you really called through it and inspected it 
at a very deep level, you find a lot of this stuff is just not needed. It's just wasteful spending. Uh, just going on and on. That commerce, justice, science uh, is, a, is another category. U.S. Department of Justice, NASA. I even looked at some of the cybersecurity investments. And half the stuff they're spending money on, I'm not even sure is necessary. It, I, it's, I really would like to dig in a little further than that. I mean, this is something that I have some experience with. And it's just all sorts of stuff that I'm not sure if it just wasn't frivolous in nature. I oh, know that sounds like uh, that's a far-fetched idea that there would be frivolous spending in this $1.7 trillion bill. But I'm just flipping through it here on page 16 of 53. <laughs> District of Columbia, $792 million, an increase of $16 million above the fiscal year enacted level. A 22 at an active level, 40 million for DC resident tuition support. What's that? 30 million for emergency planning and security costs. 4 million for HIV/AIDS testing and treatment. 8 million to fund infrastructure improvements for the DC Water and Sewer Authority. So, it looks to me like, despite the taxes you pay locally, that the federal government is printing money to dole out to municipalities and counties for that infrastructure which is supposed to be funded by property taxes and sales taxes and the like for municipalities and counties. Just incredible. Goes on and on and on and on. $41 million for microloan technical assistance. $140 million for small business development centers. $30 million for federal and state technology partner program, growth accelerators, and regional innovation centers. And $27 million for women's business centers. Now, does anybody have any clue what all that is? I don't. I don't think I've ever even seen that stuff. I think the only guy, we need to get him on the phone. The only guy that actually understands where all this money goes and how to get your hands on it is the guy that used to have the infomercials wearing the, the Riddler costume with all the money on it. Remember the guy who seemed like he had way too much coffee in the morning and he had a colorful suit with dollar bill signs on it and he was selling a book <laughs> of how you could get this grant money from the government. I do remember that. Promoting it. You could start a small business. And you could get a boat. And he was right. Oh, yeah. That's the, That's the problem. <laughs> this is nothing new. It's just grown exponentially. Uh, you're exactly right. You're totally right. Uh, you look at the immigration and customs enforcement Homeland Security, they did get more money, but there's all kinds of caveats and strings attached. But you can't use that money to actually secure the border, which, by the way, folks, over the weekend, 16,000. 16,000. Of the 16,000 that crossed the border, 2,150 turned back. 14,000 released. There's no desire whatsoever to get control of the borders in this country by the Democrat Party. And Republicans cannot help them and assist them with their agenda, which honestly is to completely take away the borders.
is just dissolve the borders of this country. That's exactly what they intend to do. When we come back, i got to tell you about Joe Biden's Christmas address. And then we got Rachel Levine, some sound from him, her, whatever it is as well. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. vocals of the great Alan Clark, the Hollies, also plays the harmonica on that song, on that tune. That's really good. Appreciate that, Rhino. Mike? You said harmonica. I immediately thought of the joke <laughs> I heard over the, the weekend Yeah, about the song Piano Man. Yeah. Tell about, you, you know, uh, Billy for, Joel? for a song about a piano man, that guy with the harmonica sure won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's awesome, too, isn't it? You know, oh, yeah. that's Alex Payton's uh, favorite musical artist. Really? She told me that. She went to the concert with her sister. Alex is our content director here at Super Talk, folks. And uh, she went to see Billy Joel in concert, in person, I believe in Houston. Mm, September time frame, I believe. So, little, I find it a little intriguing that uh, someone... Uh, of her age group, because his really his prime. I think most of his popular songs were made long before. Oh yeah. So, although he did have a bit of a resurgence when he did the uh, was it Central Park concert that was kind of in the same vein yeah. as the Garth Brooks concert in yeah. Central Park, and then he had another resurgence when I forget who it was that produced it. But it was a Broadway musical using his music called Moving Out. That's right. Moving Out, of course, one of his extremely popular songs. Tells a bit of a story there. It's a good tune. like it. Very talented artist. Mike from Corinth sent us a couple of photos here of Highway 2 between Corinth and Kossuth. Kossuth. How do you say it? Kossuth. Oh, I always said Kossuth. I didn't know that. My, my apologies. Kasuth, thank you for correcting me there. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone actually pronounce it. I've always seen it written, Kasuth. But that's way up there in the northeastern part of the state. Be careful, Mike. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I've seen some, uh, I've seen some uh, footage of Seattle where typically the temperature doesn't get freezing. Rains a lot, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it, it has been over the weekend, and it is wreaking havoc. And there's, of course, there's video cameras everywhere around the, on the streets, and folks are not able to walk. They are going to their rears and <laughs> kind of crawling around, sort of advancing uh, with their butt on, sliding around on the sidewalk. There's got some grades in Seattle. There's some elevation oh, yeah. changes. 
And, of course, vehicles going up the hills and just sliding back, crashing into everything. And uh, I even saw one that was sliding around and a person was crossing the street and the person fell in the middle of the street and crawled their way out to avoid the vehicle that would have run over them. I mean, you just mm. don't have any control in those situations. So be Thankfully careful, Mike. Thankfully for, uh, for the listeners in North Mississippi, it does appear, according to the weatherman, that uh, it is going to get above freezing this afternoon. So okay. the, the snow will likely go away or diminish at least a little bit. Yeah, and hopefully that'll maybe uh, aid in the restoration of the water, getting that all squared away as well. Insanity gone to seed, as my great-grandmother would say, says Jeff from Pontotoc. Funding a war in Ukraine, alphabet agencies being weaponized, pushing to disarm the public, embezzlement money laundering through crypto exchanges, insane vaccine mandates. Is this the tyrannical government the Constitution warned us about? Well, I think it was the founders that warned us about it, and they, of course, drafted the Constitution with the idea of guarding against it, but who could forget the famous, and I'm not sure, honestly, Rhino, is it historical fact or folklore about the woman who allegedly asked Ben Franklin, what'd you do here? Try to create a republic if we can keep it. I'm not sure if that's determined to be accurate or not, or if that just kind of was birthed out of the process. Sure. I haven't seen, I don't recall ever seeing it when it was written in any letters or anything, but it doesn't seem as far-fetched as some of the stuff like the old folk tales about George Washington chopping down a cherry tree or yeah. throwing a quarter across the Potomac. Yeah, I agree. And knowing uh, historically about Ben Franklin, not only his, his wisdom, but his ability to kind of see around the corner and see the future. I think he knew what he was saying there. I mean, it's believable, at least, that, yeah, if you can, if you can keep it, it's a pretty good deal. He understood the nature of people and the possible dynamics at play that might, in fact, tear down what these folks got together and created. And the part of the story of him being asked by a woman makes sense, because the ladies did love some Ben Franklin. That is true. Especially the French ladies. That is absolutely true. I've read that as well. On the ceasefire text line, David in Pascagoula asks a very direct question, I might say, Rhino. Gerard, who in the hell sits around and comes up with all this garbage? I thought the same thing, David, when I'm pouring through this summary. And, and again, I, I mentioned earlier, I started reading the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, by the way, that's uh, CISA is what it's called, the acronym. Uh, if you look at the funding and its bullet point list of how all the money gets distributed, 17 million increase for the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, 7.1 million increase for a collaborative analysis of cyber threat indicators, and 3 million increase for the Cyber Sentry Program. Now, all of that may be needed. Cybersecurity is complicated. It is never-ending. It, it's something that has to be maintained, has to be current, uh, and you've got to stay a step ahead of the bad guys. I, no doubt. But I, I just wonder, does anybody ever pull the hood up and look at this stuff and say, 
yeah, that's needed, no, that's not, maybe we can do it more efficiently, maybe we don't need this amount of money. I'm honestly not sure, but what I, I'm fairly certain of is that nobody that's voting for this thing has done that analysis. And this is just on one little piece of this 53-page summary, which is incredible. $49 million increase for threat hunting. $73.8 million increase for vulnerability management. No doubt. Having been in that business, you've got to have lots of assets, and you've got to constantly maintain, upgrade, refresh. Oh, gosh. But still, are we doing it as efficiently, expediently as possible? I don't know. Nobody will step forward. Nobody's asked that question. And you know why I think they don't ask questions about stuff like this? Because they don't understand it. And if they got the answers, it'd make them look foolish. Just like every time these tech folks go to the Hill and they ask them dumb questions, it pretty much shows you don't have a clue. You really don't. The Internet is a series of tubes. <laughs> did, did somebody say that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget who it was. Let me find out who it was. Series of tubes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, it was the late Senator Ted Stevens in a 2006 speech on net neutrality. <laughs> Quote, oh. the Internet is a series of tubes. Okay, yeah, the Ted. Way to go. Gee, he was, the, he was the guy that died in a plane crash, wasn't he? From Is that him? From Alaska? Maybe I'm thinking of somebody different. He was from Alaska. Wasn't he the guy that died... In a plane crash or something, right? Yes. Yeah, Stevens okay. and seven other passengers, including former NASA Administrator Sean O'Keefe, okay. were aboard de Havilland Canada DHC-3 Otter plane when it crashed about 17 miles north of Dillingham, Alaska. I remember it. Yeah. Uh, I think resulted in, ultimately, a special election to replacing. People in the government know what's best for us. They'll tell you, says Jerry and Pontotoc. It's not about dissolving the borders, that's what I said. It's about demographic replacement. Man, if you even mention that replacement theory idea, they'll just unload on you, won't they? In every administration, every Congress, no matter the party in power, nothing new. These crazy pork issues aren't new, been going on for decades and decades. Consequently, it's why we're 31 trillion in debt. And... That's what I was talking about it's, with the guy selling books to where you can buy a boat. You can start a small business. You can renovate your bathroom. Just buy my book, and I'll tell you how to get money from the government. Which is crazy, of course. So it's true, but actually, i, I got to tell you, from, a, from a, a value perspective, the $16 billion is insane of pork. But it's a $1.7 trillion bill. You see what I'm saying there? It's 1%. It's maddening, no doubt. But $90 billion added to the defense budget, and uh, the same or more, it's about $200 billion more this year for so-called domestic spending, which is not military, not defense, which is part of discretionary, the discretionary pot. Total of $1.7 trillion. When do we ever say no? And push back, coming back with a final segment, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews, coming up after the noon hour. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. A lot of folks want to know if we can get the senator to come on the program and uh, discuss his, his, his vote. And, of course, our content director does all the scheduling. I'm just going to speculate, and I don't want to speak for the senator, obviously, but I, my guess is that um, his justification for the vote would be similar to what we've heard from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. That's that's just I'm speculating here. Total speculation. It's an opinion show. I'm expressing an opinion, but that's that's my guess. I would go a step further and harken back to the last time Senator Wicker was on Super Talk when he was being interviewed by Gallo and danced around every single question, didn't give a straight response to anything. So I, I wouldn't well, expect be. him to give anything meaningful if pressed on why he would vote for this giant boondoggle of a bill. And, of course, we called him out on this program. We, we certainly, I say called him out, we expressed our disappointment and disagreement with his support for the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which passed in uh, fall of 2021, and then the $500 billion CHIPS Act. But, and I haven't done this analysis, but when you look at when Republicans peel off from the majority of Republicans on key legislation, it's pretty much the same ones, and they're all in alignment with Mitch McConnell. And so it just feels like maybe Mitch is whipping this vote of that, that group who he feels like would support as he wants them to support. But those three major pieces of legislation uh, all got Republican support from, for the most part, the same group. There's, there's some difference, but Mitch is common. And so I bet if you looked at Mitch's voting rector, record and these senators' voting record, including Senator Wicker, I bet they're fairly closely aligned. I haven't done that work, but it just feels like it, based on these three high-profile measures that got support. So uh, we got some sound. We're, we're uh, in the last segment here that we're going to get Rhino to play from Rachel Levine. I don't know if that's a he, a her, a him, a they, a you. I don't want to misgender. They'll kick you off for that. What's she, the deputy he, she, the deputy HHS, something like that position? The first transgender admiral. Okay, here we go. So health professionals have a critical role to play. We must continue and to expand their work to address health misinformation directly with their patients. Now, this includes, but it goes beyond... COVID-19. So I'd like to just talk briefly about another area of substantial misinformation that is directly impacting health equity in our nation, and that is the health equity of sexual and gender minorities. There is substantial misinformation about gender-affirming care for transgender and gender-diverse individuals. We are in this nation facing an onslaught of anti-LGBTQI plus actions at the state levels across the United States. Onslaught! They are dangerous to the public health. The positive value of gender-affirming care for youth and adults is not in scientific or medical dispute. Really? So we all need to work together to get our voices um, out in the front line. We need to get our voices in the public eye. And we we know how effective our medical community can be talking to communities, whether it's at town halls, schools, conversations with others. And we need to use our clinician's voice to collectively advocate for our tech companies to create a healthier, cleaner information environment. 
during a moment when public trust in our leaders and our information is very challenged. The healthcare worker community, the medical community does, I believe, maintain a high degree of trust, and we have to utilize that, and we have to utilize it effectively. You mean you want tech companies to persuade and promote and groom kids to mutilate their bodies? That's what you want. What, what did we find out? This love bombing crap? That's what you really want. Go, girl, guy, you're not really that. Join us. This is despicable, in my view. Assistant Health Secretary, by the way. I, you know, hold my beer, Rhino, because you're familiar with the carol, the Christmas carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Well, the Church of England, a particular congregation, has seen fit to, well, just adjust the lyrics a little bit to this very famous and enjoyable uh, Christmas carol, Christmas hymn, really. So I won't read you the first verse because you're familiar with that. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. And then, you know, oh, comf oh tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. That's the refrain. Well, here's the second verse, says this church. This is true story. God rest you also women who by men have been erased, through history ignored and scorned, defiled and displaced. Remember that your stories too are held with God's grace. Here's the third stanza. God rest you queer and questioning, your anxious hearts be still, believe that you are deeply known and part of God's good will, for all to live as one in peace, the global dream full fulfilled. They changed it, and they sang it in church like that. We are upside down on this crap. <laughs> I don't know if this happened in any church in the U.S., but it wouldn't surprise me, right? This woke crap is destroying our society. We're out of time here today. Stay tuned for Ricky Matthews and Super Talk Outdoors back in the Element Well Studios tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.